0: Welcome to the FDM Thrive Podcast. We interview leaders in the functional health space who bring you the most up-to-date, cutting-edge information for people who have tried it all for their health issues. We hope you enjoy the show.
1: Like I ask my clients sometimes about diet. I mean, I had one case recently where the, nobody was cooking food in the family, and the 12-year-old, if she was lucky enough to go make her Hot Pockets and frozen pizza, that's what she was eating all day. So- We need to have better education about nutrition.
0: Hey, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the FDN Thrive Podcast. My name is Evan Transu, a.k.a. Health Coach Ev, and I will be your host for today's show. Now, I apologize for any sound quality issues with the mic. I am currently dealing with some microphone issues, so just ordered a new one, actually, before doing this voice memo really quick on my iPhone. Hopefully, that will cover things well enough in the meantime. And thank God for two-day delivery. So... Hopefully, I will be back in business here soon enough, but in this episode, I had a wonderful time nerding out with Dr. Jeannie Lopez, and if you're someone who... Is interested in these conversations that we're having, these interviews, and you'd like to get more involved, maybe ask a question or hear one live, you want to definitely check out our FDN Clubhouse on the Clubhouse app. We're live every Monday at 12 p.m. PST, 3 p.m. EST, and what we have done is transitioned into interviewing practitioners, and then for the last 30 minutes, we actually let people come up and ask their own questions directly to the people, Um, and the founder of FDN, Reed Davis, is always there, so there is no excuse to miss that you gotta get on anyway back to today's episode we're talking to Dr. Jeannie Lopez as I said and she's a clinical psychologist and neuropsychologist who recently became a functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner she is also pursuing graduate studies at the intuitive way which focuses on energy healing Jeannie has worked in a variety of inpatient and outpatient settings with children adolescents and families with a variety of learning and health related challenges Jeannie has a long history of personal and family health-related issues which have impacted her and her family's life significantly. After seeing more and more children in her neuropsychological assessment practice with serious learning and medically-related issues trying all kinds of treatment for herself and her family members, visiting a myriad of health professionals, and listening to many podcasts, webinars, and reading books, Jeannie decided it was time to do it herself and obtain more training with the goal of helping others with the holistic FDN coaching method. Well, I will tell you this. This is a woman who does her research. We had a like 30-40 minute conversation after recording the other day, and we're going through just some topics that we're both mutually interested in, and she said, oh, I can send you some books over on that topic, some of my favorites. And in like the email she's like this is just a small part of my library And I think she sent over like 30 or 40 books, and I was like, oh my goodness, that's that PhD life, you know what I mean? (laughs) So you will learn a ton today, this is a great person to talk to, I love people who have researched a ton of things, and then are able to bring a clear and concise message to you. It really saves us a lot of time, you know, that they've done a lot of the work research wise, and they're showing you, hey, here's what's good, and here's what's a bunch of fluff. So, without further ado, let's get to the interview. Hey there, Jeannie. Thank you so much for being here with us today.
1: Thanks for having me, Evan.
0: Well, I'm excited to talk to you because I know obviously like most functional practitioners, let alone FDNs, you definitely have a personal story. And then you have that really cool background in neuropsychology. And first and foremost, let's define that because even I'm not 100% sure on that term. Um, I know I love psychology. I know I love the neuroscience side of things. I don't know what happens when you become a neuropsychologist. So what does that mean for the audience?
1: So just to educate them, so I have a PhD in clinical psychology, that's the degree you get, and then you decide an area of specialty, and my area of specialty was neuropsychological assessment, and what that means is that we have different kind of paper, pencil, computer tasks that we do to look at different areas kind of of brain functioning, so we look at attention and executive functioning, executive functioning is planning, organizing, um, Things like that. And we look at visual spatial skills, verbal skills, um, all different things about how the, the brain is functioning through our tests. And depending on what population we work with, you know, we use our results in different ways. So right now I work with children and I assess them for learning disabilities, autism, ADHD, um, anxiety, depression, and things like that.
0: Very, very cool. If I ever give up the FDN stuff, um, not that you can't incorporate both, obviously you're doing that, but wow, that is probably what I would go to school for. (laughs) Um, That sounds like a perfect mix for me of a couple things. So very interesting. Um, Now, all right, getting into your personal story, because again, virtually every functional practitioner has dealt with something either themselves or with their family members, and you can feel free to go in as much depth as you'd like. But I'd like to start out by knowing what were some of those health conditions that either you or loved ones dealt with? And when did those start? Like, What did they look like? Just give us the story in any way you'd like.
1: Yeah. So um, the first, I think probably everything started, I mean, for me, I was sick as a baby, but my mother almost died of celiac disease um, and she wasn't diagnosed till 1981. Um, she was told it was an eating disorder and she's a nurse. So this uh, <laughs> this kind of tells you the state of, of medicine back then. Um, she was lucky enough to be diagnosed by a young resident Um, and then to be able to get on her own health journey. So I grew up, you know, seeing a mom that was sick, I was also sick, suffering from allergies and pretty severe asthma. And that later turned into some weird skin things. And then I got diagnosed with celiac disease, had migraines, and you know, the list goes on and on. And most recently, I've dealt with Lyme and mold. So, you know, (laughs) it's been a lifelong journey of dealing with all different things. And I think you know, I grew up always interested in medical topics and also interested in food as medicine. Um, Just, you know, I was reading nonfiction while everybody else was reading fiction. And, um, you know, just went on to study psychology because I was just fascinated by that. But I've also had an interest in the medical side too. And neuropsychology was a, a way to bridge kind of both worlds. So yeah, then so I've just been on my own health journey. And then in two thousand oh five or six is when I Kind of sought my first functional medicine practitioner. I had kind of been dabbling in things um, that were different than the mainstream for a while, but it took me a while to kind of get it. <laughs> and um, I started working with her. She uncovered a bunch of things in myself. And at that point, I had a child who was having difficulties. So, kind of just little by little, chipped away at everything. And um, and then most recently last year, because of COVID, COVID was actually a blessing for me because I had the time and space to pursue something else. And I found FDN. And I felt like the way that all the tests, just the whole program and the way they conceptualize everything kind of fit with um, kind of what I discovered on my own. So I felt it was like tied into a nice package that could be used really easily to teach, to work with clients and to teach parents and to teach others about health. So uh, that's kind of how I got here. And then, you know, both both kids, my kids have had issues, my husband's had issues, my family, my extended family. So uh, it's been a long journey.
0: Got it. And definitely can relate to... <laughs> Uh, the extended family and all these other people having issues, and so many do, and we start to see it through different lights. Sometimes, as we get into the functional space, because you know uh, maybe Billy's chronic like migraines you never thought twice about, and then all of a sudden you're like, well, that's kind of weird. That really shouldn't be happening. It's definitely not normal. Um, and I gotta rewind. I did not want to cut you off, especially so early. in. I, I always make a point to never cut guests off, but I almost couldn't resist. I did not know that celiac disease in and of itself could be fatal. How, how does someone almost die from that? What does that mean?
1: Oh, well, my mother was so sick that she kept losing weight and they couldn't figure out what was wrong with her. So this is back in the 80s. So, you know, now we have so many more diagnostic tools and there is uh, sadly not quite enough knowledge, but there's more knowledge among doctors to screen for it. But um, she just kept losing weight. She was hospitalized. You know, they, were figure- they, they knew things were wrong, but they didn't know why. Um, and in the early 1990s, actually, when I was in graduate school, the first blood test came out to look at some of the markers for celiac. And so my mom had actually read about them. And, um, one of my practitioners from back home actually wrote the prescription so I could get tested. And it turned out that when I had my endoscopy, I had no villi left. So I was lucky. My mom actually helped me too. (laughs) Wow.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: So, um, yeah. So that just shows you how far we've come there's more awareness now.
0: Do you, well, and first of all, that's crazy. I had no idea that that was even possible to have that happen as a result of celiac. Obviously, um, you know, being 25, I guess this was, it's not like it's always found, but it is at least eventually thought about in today's world, Mm -hmm. you know, like 10 years later, you'll get there. You know, someone will figure it out. Unfortunately, it takes 10 years, but at, at least they'll get there at some point. And so you do deal with this as well. Do you agree that you think it's about um, you know, 1% of the population roughly is dealing with celiac, or do you think it's like more or even less?
1: Well, I think now we've, I'm, I'm curious, you know, for me, I'm a celiac. My kids are actually non celiac gluten sensitive. So I think, you know, all the research and all this stuff is just evolving. So I think we'll find out with time, but I definitely think there's something going on with our population that they're becoming more sensitive to gluten because you hear about it so much more. And on some of the tests, the newer tests that we have, you can pick up these things better. So I, I know it's still the tip of the iceberg. Um, you know, for my mom it took twenty years to get diagnosed. I still hear, you know, and for me it's it's hard to know how long it really took. I was I was lucky. Um, but my symptoms weren't severe enough to warrant somebody looking into it. My mother just had enough knowledge and, and resources from reading some of this going to support groups and reading some of the celiac um publications that were available at the time to to know what to do. But, um, yeah, I think, I think we're, we're getting better, but we're still not good enough. (laughs) Honestly. Yeah,
0: Yeah. no, absolutely not. And I, I share this story, I mean, often enough on this podcast, but it's always worth sharing just in case there's someone out there listening that, you know, needs to hear this. I had a uh, very good friend of mine and she was put into like the psych units multiple times in hospitals, but she had celiac. And no one had diagnosed that. She had severe neurological disturbances as a result of this. And I mean, this is terrible. You know, and this happens with more than just mental health stuff. These people manifest completely different symptoms that look so unrelated to an autoimmune thing, you know, with gluten, that it's surprising that for people sometimes when they're like, wow, these severe mental health issues or severe skin issues were actually linked to that. And and it is sad. You know, they they get treated for the wrong things. Um, They in her case might even be judged or labeled with something they just didn't have and so I, I like that we bring awareness to it and the reason I asked about the one percent thing is because I know I mean you're somewhat new to Fdn I'm sure you found this though so far just by talking to people one percent of the population sure maybe has celiac it's unbelievable how overrepresented celiacs individuals are in the Fdn community it is not one percent it is way over five and so it's just interesting how many of these people, do have chronic health issues as a result of celiac. And so my next question is, you know when you're going through your health journey and now looking back, do you think that celiac was at the core of your health issues or was that even in and of itself kind of a symptom of other problems?
1: You know, I don't think I'll ever really know um, because I think the more I learn, the more layers of that onion there are <laughs> in my in my history to to look at and there's just no way to know. Um, I definitely, you know, had a lot of medications as a child that probably disrupted my microbiome, right? Did that, you know, they say sometimes that a significant illness or stomach bug can trigger celiac. Um, I just, I really don't know. And I've thought about it many times, but there's just so many layers in my onion, (laughs) Evan, that I don't think I'll know, but there are just two other things I wanted to say is that, you know, I met a woman, this is years ago when I was first diagnosed, who had a son who was schizophrenic and they discovered he had celiac disease, so. That was the first time I'd ever heard about any kind of mental health issues kind of related to celiac. And then the other thing that I've learned over the years and being in the celiac community is so many people have food sensitivities or food allergies along with the celiac disease. And many times the practitioners just diagnose them with celiac. They say, go be gluten free, and they don't look at these issues. Um, And that also happened to me. It took years for me to figure out the food allergies and sensitivities after the diagnosis.
0: These are great points, and I I hate when I mess up a number with my stats, so don't quote me on this one, guys, but look it up as it's very, very close to these numbers. It was something along the lines of, and this just shows how even if Western medicine does find celiac, Western society still takes care of this in such an in a, uh, insufficient way. It was something along the lines of like 7% of people with celiac that get diagnosed actually have healed gut linings 18 months after receiving their diagnosis. For those that don't know, the gut lining is some of the fastest regenerating cells in the body. Like this should not take 18 months if you're doing it correctly. Um, And so do you feel like this is a problem with Western medicine, like not saying, hey, you really, really need to be Super abstinent of this, or do you think that this is Western society just making it impossible uh, for these individuals to live in a way that makes sense? I'm just asking you because obviously you've experienced it firsthand, so I'm curious of your opinion on that.
1: Yeah, I think you raised a really good point that I actually hadn't thought about is you know, how quickly can the gut lining <laughs> heal? Um, you know, they when I was diagnosed back in the 90s, they were saying it was like one to two years, and I had follow up, you know, follow up biopsies, which they're not doing today, so everything's changed. But I, they don't give you good advice on how to heal your gut. And, and they don't also give you good advice on how to be gluten free. I mean, when my mother was diagnosed, she was told to eat, the dietician told her to eat Rice Krispies and Rice Krispies had barley malt in it. And we all know that Rice Krispies is really not a great food choice. (laughs) So (laughs) I think there are so many. Yeah, I just think there's a lot of lack of education. Um, you know, when you get a diagnosis, um, through the medical system and then there's not much as far as their, Their treatment or support of healing, Um, and that's the beauty of FDN is we have some of those answers (laughs) through our program.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And so, okay, celiac was obviously a huge part of your story, whether it's the beginning or part of something else. We don't really know, and I appreciate your honesty there because. It is hard to know, right? And anyone that's really doing the investigative work, I suppose, you know, cannot say definitively that this is the thing. What were, before we kind of move forward, um, what were some of the other like specific conditions or symptoms that you dealt with? Because it was kind of more of a, when we were doing like the summary in the beginning, it was like a general overview. But did you, were you someone with like skin issues, weight issues? Like what was specifically going on for you?
1: Um, I think I've always had digestive issues. Um, I definitely had skin issues for a while. I had weird rashes and weird things. Um, I had, I got sick a lot, the allergies, the asthma. I have an autoimmune arthritis, um, migraine headaches. What else? <laughs> um, also pancreatic insufficiency, which is also associated with celiac. And that's kind of when your pancreatic enzymes are not being sufficiently secreted and you have trouble absorbing fat. So food sensitivities. I mean, and then most recently, you know, hormonal um, imbalances and the lime in the mold. So it kind of it is over the years. Like I feel like each decade I got a new constellation of issues to cope with and try to heal.
0: Wow. Twice today I was doing something completely different for our uh, real results show that we've talked about. And I had a Lyme and a celiac person on there as well. So you had Lyme too. You <laughs> discovered that eventually.
1: Yeah, I had um, Borrelia, Babesia, and Bartonella, and they seem to be under control now, and I did herbal treatments, but I was offered antibiotics, but because I had been on antibiotics so much as a child and as a young adult, I knew that those would probably kill me, honestly, so I said no to that treatment and went with the herbals, so it seems to be that things are under control now, and then with the mold, um, we had a whole mold renovation in our home in 2019, right before COVID. Mm-hmm. So we, um, and then I'm still working on just everyday detox, um, for that too, but that's better. So, you know, just chipping away at things.
0: Got it. And I'm getting ahead of myself. So I want to rewind for a second because, you know, in your summer, you talked about how you have always been interested in like dabbling with the natural side of things, but I'm assuming that wasn't as, you know, a super young kid or whatever. So I- I'm always really fascinated by what allows people to bridge that gap because for so many people, the natural side of things or natural medicine, I mean, it's looked at as like quackery or hippie stuff. And this is the stuff that, I mean, saved some of our lives. So it's unfortunate that that still gets that viewpoint. Do you remember what it was that triggered you to like go away from some of those more Western things and actually try natural? Like what was the first step there? Did you have a family member that knew about this or something?
1: Um, I think it was probably pain. Um, because I had pain from the arthritis, um, that caused a lot of, and the migraines and things. And at a certain point it, well, it was clear from the beginning that I didn't tolerate many of the medications. I was super sensitive. So I was like, okay, well, how do I manage my life with the, with the pain? And with with other things. And then I just started doing research. And then that led me to all kinds of places, <laughs> you know, and tried all kinds of different types of therapies. And I continue today to this day to try new things. And I'm also most recently, I've, I'm i in an, like a energy kind of program, learning about energy work. And that's been another huge um, passion area for me, too, in the last year. So I'm studying that as well. And so I think just, you know, looking at mind-body connection, um, yeah, and just the more you start investigating, you know, I started, I think I started kind of with, you know, massage, a little acupuncture. Um, Then I did, started doing yoga for a while. And then I had hypermobility. So yoga didn't work. Um, What else did I try? I mean, I've tried so many different kinds of I'm doing um, a certain type of um, body work right now with frequency specific microcurrent. I've tried different forms of chiropractic, um, other types of energy work. I just kind of started dabbling in things. And then it it got to the point where I was like, I need to learn these myself (laughs) to to do what you know, what can I learn that I can do at home? How can I be how can I take more control over my own health and be in charge? and not have to go to all these people. So that's kind of been my, the next part of my journey was, was trying to find things that I, that I could do at home too.
0: Excellent. And this is my, I love talking to people like you or people in the Western medicine space. And when I say people like you, I mean, someone with a PhD talking about energy work, you know, because this stuff sometimes gets, again, you know, looked at as like quackery or silly or whatever. Well, PhDs are about as science based as you get. You know th- these are the people researching; they know their stuff, and I just think it's cool that you give that stuff an honest chance and um, are learning about it, and even practicing it yourself. I mean, it's it's amazing. It's that's how we're really going to get systemic level change is by bridging the gaps. And we've had someone named um, Leslie Perron on, and I know that you know Leslie through Thrive. And she was a no- nurse for 40 years and then got into FDN. I'm like, what a wonderful person to have in the community. You know what I mean? Because th- it is gonna help bridge the gap more. Um, and I wanted to ask, you, know, you had tried a bunch of things for your own health conditions. And what you described is so typical of the people that come to FDN Thrive because they are interested in natural medicine and then, what do we do? I've done the same thing. I go to the acupuncturist, I go to the naturopath, I go to the chiropractor, and they are all wonderful people, usually. But generally, they are treating one or two specific things. Um, they are limited to their modality, and they're not looking at the person as a whole. And that's what FDN does. That's the gap that we fill. So, what is it that eventually, through all these things you tried, like what led to FDN? How did you find it?
1: I actually had been thinking about doing something else for a long time but I didn't know what it was. And then when COVID hit, I was like, okay, here's my chance. <laughs> Everybody's is home. Um, I wasn't sure that I was gonna have a job to go back to because I didn't know if we were gonna be allowed to see clients again. And I was like, well, what else could I do? And I researched different types of functional medicine programs and education things. And I said, you know, I really want something where I can get a certificate or something out of it that can be practical and useful. And I, you know, I interviewed a bunch, you know, I, I talked to a bunch of different places and some were really expensive and you didn't get anything. Some were just a few classes and it, it just wasn't enough. I knew it wasn't enough. And then I researched the FDN and talked to different people who had gone through the program, different people at FDN. And I was like, this is it. And I, and then when I got into it, I was like, this is really it. Because the whole, <laughs> the whole idea of treating everything non-specifically and kind of just You know, doing whatever you can to boost your health on your own and and having the person be an active participant in the process just really rung true to me. It was kind of what I was looking for. And I, and I just, and I realized over the years of working with different types of people with different levels of motivation, you know, how important it is to, to work with motivated people who really want to change their lives and how much you could, how much is possible if, if you really work at it.
0: Yeah. And I love what you said about, oh, I thought this was it. And then I was in it and I'm like, this is really it. We're going to put that in our advertising or something (laughs) because that is, it's so true. Like you get so excited about this and you're like, there is no way it's actually this cool. And you get in the course, you're like, wow, not only is this cool, this is pretty damn hard, Like this is (laughs) intense stuff and you're definitely going to study and and be learning. That's for sure. So when you're going through the course, uh, what are some of the things that you are finding on the labs that the course requires? That like maybe were either completely new to you or you suspected, but never had proof of, like, what were those things that you found that you're like, wow, these are cool healing opportunities?
1: Well, for me, I think it was really interesting also to see the evolution of some of the functional medicine labs. And as we know, like things are constantly changing. There's new technology all the time. So I think looking back on my own experience with fun- functional medicine, there weren't a lot of the, the GI, the GI map is so good <laughs> compared to the to the other tests I had 15 years ago. Sure. So. Um, I would say the GI map was very telling for me. Um, I had a little bit of H pylori and I had been taking, um, a lot of HCL (laughs) and I, and I treated that in the last six months and I had symptoms, you know, just kind of melt away. Um, and I just, the information from the GI map was just great, I think. And, um, for me, the MRT also helped me. I had already identified a bunch of food sensitivities, um, through other testing and just personal trial and error, but taking away some of the things on the MRT, for me, made a difference. So it was it was interesting for me to learn more about that test um, and also to see you know what changes it can make in my life. Um, and then the looking at the um, adrenal function was also telling because I had been treated for adrenal dysfunction when I first started functional medicine. But what I realized is that many practitioners, you go down these rabbit holes of all these other things, and they don't retest as frequently as they should. So you kind of forget about certain things when you're working with really complex cases. And so for me, We didn't really go back to the adrenals. And then when I went back to them, you know, one of the, when I did the access test through FDN, I was like, Oh my goodness, I'm back to where I was 15 years ago with my adrenals and I had made progress, but it hadn't been monitored properly over the years. So I really like the fact that FDN urges retesting to see, to just check in and see what progress you're making and really interview the clients on their symptoms and make those connections, those clinical correlations. So I, I think. Testing more frequently and just being more, having more consistent care is another key factor of what we do.
0: Um, Absolutely. And I mean, yeah, we take out the guesswork, you know, because when you do this long enough, are there certain things that you can just kind of see instantly and assume? Yeah, and you're probably right 80% of the time, even with some of those things, but there's always a margin of error, you know? And it's like, there are. there's been a few times, even something recently where I was like so positive it was this thing and it turns out not to be, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And so that's why we always are about test, don't guess. And there's wonderful tests out there. I love that you brought up the, it, well, at least the idea that the GI map and the MRT food sensitivity test that you had done were superior to things that you might've done in the past. And for those that want to learn a little bit more about those tests, if you go about five to 10 episodes back, you'll see shorter episodes that are solo. It's just with me. And I'm talking about the MRT and or GI map, um, and giving a little more insight there. So you can go feel free to get those over at, um, our podcast and all right. So when, with your health, when did you graduate again, by the way, from the course?
1: Oh, I just graduated in December. So I'm just, I haven't seen clients yet. I'm building my business now and going okay. through the, the coaching with the coaching, the preceptorship program.
0: Awesome. I knew that was uh somewhat recent. I think that's great. So I want to focus more on like your own health because you know what? No, truthfully healing, especially long-term stuff, it takes time, but usually we can get some pretty quick results for people and get the uh, needle moving, even if they've tried other things before. So um, have you found that to be the experience by like you doing some of the protocols on yourself? And like you said, addressing the H. pylori, like when you're saying things have gotten better, like what specifically has gotten better? And is it like, it's gone or 50% better. I'd love the answer to those types of questions.
1: Um, gosh, it's hard to know because I have so many things I'm juggling, but I would say the H. pylori discovering that was huge and it really wasn't a full blown infection. But when I worked with my mentor, because of looking at my whole health and all the other issues I was dealing with, she felt it was enough to do treatment. And it really was significant change. Like I had less kind of, you know, um, reflux type symptoms and my whole GI, just less stomach kind of distress. Um, just less episodes of feeling uncomfortable. Um, and then with the MRT too, I had to get rid of uh, corn and sunflower. I have a feeling were two of the biggest ones, but I had a bunch of them uh, to get rid of, and I did it. I'm still doing the MRT restrictions now. I haven't retested, but um I- I'm feeling good with the changes that I made. Um, from eliminating those foods. And in addition to the other foods that I already eliminate, <laughs> um, sure. but I, I'd already been off gluten, dairy, soy oats and um, for uh, many, many years. So,
0: Oh, nice. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the corn's a big one with the MRT. That was, it was, my second highest food, I believe in terms of reaction to, and one of only like three or four reds. So it it was interesting to get that out. And the reason I'm, I'm focusing in on that is be a sunflower and corn together, especially, I mean, talk about hidden added ingredients, right? Like those two things are all over the place in medications or, um, even like quote unquote, healthy processed foods. Right. So I'm sure that was actually like, was that tricky to get those things out or were you already in a place diet wise that that was just natural enough?
1: You nailed it, Evan. It wasn't It wasn't fun. <laughs> I was like, I've been through all these diet changes throughout my life and I know what to do, but I was like, gosh, this is, you know, I've gotten rid of the gluten. Then like 10 years later, I got rid of the dairy and soy. And, and then it was like, I looked at this. I'm like, oh, you're kidding me. Here we go again. But um, I found alternatives to certain things. And uh, just, you know, I, I'm always looking at new foods on the market and interested. I get a lot of the celiac magazines and they always have new foods in there. So Yeah, but it was surprising. I think the sunflower oil was really surprising to me. You know, there were some liposomal supplements I was taking with it that had it in it. Uh, It's very tricky. So that added a new layer. But I actually, funny enough, I knew I wasn't alone. I bumped into somebody in Whole Foods one day who was looking at the shelf and we struck up a conversation and she was getting rid of sunflower too. So (laughs) I know that was fascinating. That's
0: awesome.
1: (laughs) Uh, So... But yeah, it was definitely tricky. I mean, reading labels is kind of my way of life. But I know it's really hard for others when they're just starting this whole journey. It's it's a lot to manage.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and it, you know, it depends on the foods because some is like, all right, that was easy enough. I only eat that once a week anyway. But when you get that hidden little stuff that's in everything, yeah, no, that's that's particularly tricky. Um, wheat alone is enough of a transition, right? But then you start adding in corn and dairy. But it's so funny because. I just, I don't even think about that stuff anymore. Like it really does get to a point where you just realize, okay, this is, this is fine. And, um, there is no stress over it or whatever. Have you found that to be the case in your experience with like the longer term stuff? I know that you had said like wheat and dairy were gone for a while. Like, do you think about those things or miss them? Because I don't, I don't really feel like I get bothered with that.
1: No, no. I mean, I do pretty much all my own cooking. Um, eating out is a little bit stressful, Mm
0: -hmm, so mm -hmm.
1: it's very limited, but, um, I just do all my own cooking and I I never look back. I mean, I saw what, you know, I know what gluten does to me. I know what it did to my mom. I mean, there's no, and the dairy too. I had chronic sinus infections for, and fevers for uh, over a year, almost had sinus surgery. And then I discovered the dairy allergy. So I, uh, anything that shows up, I try it. And if I see that it is making a difference, it's gone. And I don't look back because it's just not worth it. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, it's not worth
0: it. How many people are getting unnecessary surgeries? (laughs) That's a (laughs) thing that I don't even like to think about. Um, Okay, cool. Well, the fun part about this podcast is normally this is a time where I would be talking more about client successes and those types of things, but obviously you're a very new graduate. So that means I can kind of dive into more of um, your, you know, I guess, prior career. I know that you're probably switching out to some degree. Are you looking to go full-time with FDN type of stuff and like leave your field completely? Or would you mix both of those together?
1: I think I'm looking for some way to mix everything that I'm doing because everything like the, the career I'm doing, I know that this is needed. This needs to be part of it because (laughs) I, because I actually get referrals. Um, I've done several consults on mold and functional medicine with parents. Um, I'm kind of known in my practice as the one who gets the complex medical cases because I've worked in the, you know, medical realm. So I would love to do something in, integrated in some way. Um, I haven't figured all that out. And then I'm also doing the energy work. And as I, I do more of the energy work, I realize how much you can do with that too. So I feel like actually somehow putting it all together, <laughs> I, mm-hmm. I'm I'm still, I need more time and space to digest that and figure it out. <laughs> but yeah, that no. is what I, I'd like to do because I think that there's, so, especially kids on the autism spectrum, there are so many possible Uh, things going on with them medically that need to be looked at as well. And um, parents who come to us, you know, we send them on their way to PT, OT, speech, you know, educational therapists and things like that. But we really need to look at the functional medicine piece as well, because they could really make big changes in their life that way, possibly. Well, And this
0: is precisely what I wanted to focus on for the last little bit of um, the recording here, because I I think this is fascinating to get both perspectives. Like what, have there been any like new insights or just like aha moments as you've gotten like learning more about the natural and functional side of things through FDN and then you're going to your normal work and you're like, wait a second, this connects here or this could help there. Like, have you gotten any new insights from this? Because clearly you recognize the need, but I'm, I'm kind of curious about the specifics. Like what do we need to be doing for some of these kids?
1: Yeah. I mean, every day, every client I see, there's something going on medically. And mm-hmm. it seems, it just seems, and I've been at, doing this type of work for the past almost 10 years. And these kids are coming in with more complex medical histories. And you just have to start the conversations with parents and you'll be amazed. I mean, more celiacs, more possible celiac, GI issues, sleep issues, um, sometimes pans and pandas, mold, Lyme, I mean, it's getting very, very complex in my world. The more questions I ask, the more doors open. (laughs) And then you're like, oh my goodness, (laughs) what do we do?
0: Absolutely. I mean, I'm even seeing this in my own life because I'm realizing that, you know, in my generation being in my 20s, I saw other kids that were kind of like me, but I always felt like I got the first wave of it, if that makes sense. And then I saw you know, as I started studying this stuff, I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is going to happen to them too. It's just going to take longer. And sure enough, the number one type of person that calls me today are people my age in their late, uh, mid to late twenties that after college, that was like the final stressor on their body, Genie. you know, and now they have all these uh. like autoimmune symptoms or whatever. And these people are having kids and their kids. That's where it's quite scary because we are seeing, and we're seeing this in the statistics, we know this, the rates of chronic disease, the rates of mental health conditions, they are skyrocketing um, Mm -hmm. in our youth and in our population in general. And so, you know, I I don't mean this, this is not a a fear message or whatever. I never like to promote stuff such as that. However, we need to be realistic and we need to realize this is a time to change. There's no more screwing around or, you know, 50% of the population's eating fast food. We we don't have time for that anymore. Exactly. Like, I, exactly. I don't think this next generation that my, the, the babies that my generation are is having, if we continue on the path that we're going, well, if they can even have kids, what is their health going to look like? You know what I mean?
1: Yes. I'm hearing this all over the place. And then you look at, if you start asking, um, like I ask my clients sometimes about diet I mean, I had one case recently where nobody was cooking food in the family, and the 12-year-old, if she was lucky enough to go make her Hot Pockets and frozen pizza, that's what she was eating all day. So, I mean, you know, there's no – we need to have better education about nutrition. Um, We need to educate parents on – you know, the risks of being a vegetarian, I've had several friends who are recovered vegetarians who have had, you know, serious <laughs> recovered problems. Recovered vegetarians, that, I love that. That's what they call themselves. <laughs> you know, we need to learn about nutrition, not, not as part of the latest fad diets or this and that, but like what you put in your body, what is, what, what do these nutrients do in your body? And how do we get the best quality nutrients we can given, you know, the state of our soil and the toxins and all that other stuff and glyphosate, you know, what can, how you know garbage in, garbage out, right? <laughs> so mm-hmm. how, but yes. that there's so many people who don't have basic nutritional knowledge um, in the world, and so y- yeah, it just compounds every generation. I mean, I think back to the '80s when we thought soy flour was a great alternative to to you know for gluten free, and I used to have all these GI issues with soy flour, and now I know why.
0: <laughs> yep, because <laughs> <laughs> I
1: I wasn't meant to have it. <laughs> Yeah,
0: probably very few are, you know, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> any, yes. Um, and so, yeah, you know, there is hope. Um, It starts with things like this. And this is why, you know, I ask at the end of every podcast, but I'll say it right now. We, we would love if you leave a review on the podcast to anyone listening, because this information really does need to get out to more individuals. Like, again, the time is kind of limited. And if you make a choice to not do this stuff, that's totally fine. I respect everyone's rights to make their own choices. But the problem is, it's not a level playing field right now. And there are moms and parents suffering out there that are seeing their kids all messed up, or they're messed up, and they have no idea why. And if they knew this existed, and they knew these options were there, they would take them in a heartbeat, but they don't know they exist. Um, just like you know, what times in our lives, Jeannie and I didn't. And so I want to go back to, and it's very selfish, I admit, but I do think other people are interested in this topic. You have brought up the uh, autistic children that you're working with many times on, I think a few times already on this podcast. And so I'd love to go there. Are you working with, and forgive me, because I feel like low functioning versus high functioning is not uh, maybe socially appropriate. That's not the right terms. I mean, I think it's like ASD level one, two, and three. Is that- Clinically correct.
1: I'm. I'm not seeing. Uh, I. I mainly I see children with learning uh, difficulties, and mm-hmm. every now and again, autism comes into the mix. Okay. So I am seeing higher functioning children, and many times we also specialize at our practice with children who are gifted, um, and so children who are gifted and have a learning disability or an emotional problem—they're called twice exceptional. So I'm seeing some. We in the old days we would call them Aspergers. Um, they mm-hmm. have asked for this. And that term, we still use it in the field, even though it's not in the DSM. Our okay. Oh, wow. I did not know family. that. Yeah. So we still kind of use it colloquially between ourselves. But, um, you know, I see um, higher functioning um, autistic children, too. But mo- most of the lower functioning kids would probably not come to me or they'd come to me when they're younger, maybe before anybody's kind of identified them. Um, so every once in a while, I'll see one. But okay. Most, got you know, it. Yeah. Most of the time, you know, everybody's speaking pretty, pretty well and can do, you know, academic tasks and things. Yeah.
0: follow instructions. Got it. Yep. The, The reason I had asked and called it selfish is because, and I've talked about this before on here, I mean, over the last year, that idea of as being one of the things that is part of my story has come to the light, you know? And um, it's not a formal diagnosis by any means, but th- the counsel that I was working with literally suggested um, the exact same thing. He's like, well, I probably would call it like to me, would call it Asperger's if that was still a term that we used. But of course, you need to go get a formal diagnosis. And certainly many of the things make sense. and like looking back, I mean, I had panic attacks at such a young age, depression, and none of these things made sense. I had an mm-hmm. awesome life right? I'm dealing with skin issues. I got terrible gut issues, like everything's messed up. And it almost seems like all of it got better, even the social deficits as I got healthier. So I'm sure you haven't had like a ton of time to experiment yet because, you know, again, you're newer to the finishing FDN and stuff. But I'm like curious, like, what do you think needs to be done for these kids? Is this major dietary problems? Like, is this something that can even be managed, do you believe? Or does it just get a little better?
1: And I've, I've met, you know, i clinically, I have not seen this because I'm not in the functional medicine world that treats these kids from that perspective. But I've heard on podcasts and read different places, articles and things about what is possible sometimes. But each, I, I always say every child I see is an individual with their own set of circumstances. So we never kind of know. But I think it's so important to look at toxin load, mold exposure, GI health, most of number one, if we're Everything's number one with these kids, you know, and see what 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 impacts it. Looking at vitamin, and mineral, and nutrient deficiencies, um, there's so many things. I've definitely I've read. Uh, there's one particular gentleman, Dr. William Walsh, who writes about um, his book is called Nutrient Power, and he talks about all kinds of mental health issues. He goes through schizophrenia, autism, depression, ADHD, and talks about different um, methylation problems and vitamin mineral imbalances. And he's now teaching practitioners his method. So, as far as, you know, mental health goes and autism, there's so much out there. Um, and there's so many different things that, that I think these kids are super complicated. Um, I was actually on a group, um, chat. There's a conference in our community that happens once a year with a group of moms who've gotten together and formed an organization and they have researchers doing kind of out of the box research and, um, they're doing amazing things to just try to investigate these things further um, and try to help these kids.
0: Very cool. And I definitely agree with the idea of it. You know, there there are complex cases. That's what I've seen. Um, I've even felt that was kind of validating because I felt like my own case was so – there's always something. Like there's all these weird little things. There's genetic components that I found. I mean, it's not really just the typical – FDN thing. You know, I did get a lot better, but I still needed to do some of the more advanced tests. I was one of those like 10 or 20 percenters um, mm-hmm. to really get a lot of this stuff under control. And so that's cool. I, I love that you can bring that perspective. And I think it, it's going to be so much fun for you over the next, you know, five to 10 years as you're bringing this in and trying to combine both of those, I mean, that's just, this is such a needed perspective. I mean, you could change the entire course of some of these young you know, kids' lives and the family's lives, because these are real things that affect people. They affect them socially. They affect them in terms of grades, the colleges that they go to, um, their relationships. And to think that, yeah, we can make dietary changes, and I'm oversimplifying it. Of course, there's many other <laughs> things that we do. And yes, this person has a chance of living a, a pretty good life. That's, that's an amazing thing. I love hearing stuff like that.
1: Yeah. And I think you know, the other issue that you suggested, which I don't know the answer to, but I think it's great to think about is, you know, children who are on the spectrum and individuals on the spectrum and their social processing skills, you know, can we help them with some of the nutrient changes that, you know, that we make and with different types of therapies and sensory integration therapies and all those sorts of things, like what is possible? I don't think we know.
0: It um, And see, it's going to drive me crazy because- <laughs> I would never want to get sick again, obviously. But as I was talking to the counselor about this, because I mean, I have a book on the subject of like overcoming the mental health challenges naturally. And when he's talking to me about this, I I, like, I almost want to go back and have someone fully analyze this because I'm like, well, did I resolve mental health issues or did I also make much better aspects of autism? Because that second statement, if that happened naturally naturally. That's pretty big stuff, you you know, and people need to know that. Um, I mean, certainly it's not going to hurt them, but I, I do feel like I had such a level of social awkwardness and deficits that did get better. I, I did other things you know, I read a lot of books mm-hmm. on speaking and practicing and stuff, but no, they absolutely got better, the healthier that I got. Um, and that's remarkable to think that that can be connected. That's I amazing. Mean, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, like, what yeah the heck? <laughs> that's
1: awesome. I mean, it just, we just don't know what's possible, right?
0: Nope. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, no. And and yeah. You know, yeah. No. You got.
1: Oh, another thing I was going to say is one of my functional medicine doctors I had heard because she she sees a lot of uh, people, children on the spectrum. She was even using oxytocin, which is you know kind of what's called kind of the love hormone, mm-hmm. to help some children who were really aggressive to kind of mellow out. So there's so many. Like quirky little tidbits of, you know, little pearls of wisdom out there that some of these practitioners have experimented with and that are using in practice to help, you know, the lives of that, not only that child, but the family that that child lives with. So,
0: well, I've learned a few things today. You can give someone oxytocin. What is that, like a pill or a capsule?
1: I don't know if, I don't know what form. I think you could, you know, it's compounded. So I'm sure you can decide what form. But isn't that? I mean, I would never have thought of that.
0: Let's (laughs) let's start giving that stuff out, man. We might have this world calm down a little bit. I mean, that sounds pretty good to me.
1: Go back to the 60s or something.
0: All right, Jeannie. Obviously, yes, you are. You know, you just graduated FDN in December, but clearly, anyone that has listened this far can tell you know your stuff obviously you're dedicated to this space and you have a lot to offer people. So is, do you have a business page up and running? Like, do you have a place where clients can come get you or is that not available yet?
1: I'm not quite there yet. Okay. Um, uh, I will be hopefully in the next uh, couple weeks. Um, I'm working on the tech stuff, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'd say through FDN, I guess. Three. Through the and then, FDN Thrive program because we are we are open to clients. So that's probably the best way to get to me at this point until I absolutely. get my Yep. Yeah.
0: Okay. And then what we will do, depending on when the person is listening to this, please double check the show notes because you very well may see um, Jeannie's link there for her website or whatever might come to be. Um, because, you know, people obviously listen to these things far in the future and uh, actually... By the time that this is out, this might be a couple weeks from, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm, now. So mm -hmm. we'll see how that happens. Um, I want to finish up with our final signature question on the FDN Thrive podcast. And don't worry, this is nothing like crazy hard or anything, but it is a good one. And I like collecting these. And the question is this, if based on your current knowledge right now, you had a magic wand. And Jeannie could get every single person in this world to do one thing for their health or stop doing one thing for their health. Like, what is that one thing you'd get them to do?
1: Wow. One thing. <laughs> Evan, it's hard to think of one thing. Um, <laughs> yes. I'd probably go with learning about food, learning about how to read a label, learning about what where your food comes from, learning how to cook, learning about food, food is medicine.
0: Well, that's an interesting answer the way she said it because she did not say eat real food or eat organic as have been answers on the podcast before, which is certainly not bad answers. I just thought it was interesting how she said, learn about food and find out all the different things that are going on. It must be all those books that she's read and the, I can't even imagine how many hours of research this woman has done that leads you to just be like, all right, rather than tell you one thing about food. You just need to learn about it because if you start learning even a few subjects, um, yeah, you're going to realize pretty quickly that we are not doing it right out here. So I want to thank you guys all for listening to another episode of the FDN Thrive Podcast. You've been talking to myself, Evan Transu, a.k.a. Health Coach of your host, and Dr. Jeannie Lopez. If you would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, I would think you are wonderful. And I I really do think you're wonderful. But even better. You know what I mean? It'd be really great. Maybe we'll shout you out. Maybe that's what we have to start doing. (laughs) Um, And as a final reminder, Clubhouse, we're on it every single Monday at 12 p.m. PST, 3 p.m. EST. You can check us out there. The founder of FDN and FDN Thrive is on there live with you. You can ask him questions. We're having guests. We're interviewing people just like the one on the podcast today. It's a really cool time. And it's still a new enough platform that this Clubhouse is just small enough. I mean, you really can get in to have your questions asked or answered, excuse me, and to really talk to Reed. So check us out there, 12 p.m. PST, 3 p.m. EST on Mondays. And thanks again for tuning in. I'll talk to you guys again soon. Thanks for tuning in to the FDN Thrive Podcast. If you feel like you've been stuck in the cycle of trial and error when it comes to your health issues, our team can help. Whether you've tried every different diet out there without lasting success, spent way too much money on supplements at your local health food store, or been told that your lab tests are normal despite feeling anything but normal, we have your back. Go to FDNThrive.com and click the Get Started Here button if you're ready to stop playing guessing games with your health. That's FDNThrive.com.